O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 88, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, February the 11th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. As you can tell, I'm not feeling particularly well today. That's not the reason that I read that lament psalm. It's because that's the psalm appointed for today. But if you've ever gone through difficult times, you understand that emotion in those laments, and they're not wrong. I mean, I know people who have been taught over time that you shouldn't pray that way. But David did, and David was a man God loved. So it's fine. It's fine. The thing is, is that what we should do is pray exactly that way. Open our heart to him and allow him to hear our pain. And there's something cathartic about that very thing, because if you have faith— that he is a good and loving God, then you know that he does hear you. When, and while he might not immediately respond to the cry, you know that it's heard. And that's an important thing. One of the things that happens in, in the uh, wilderness wanderings primarily is, is that, that what people are, are uh, getting into trouble for, let's say, are the desire instead to complain, to complain and murmur, to Moses or about Moses and all that kind of stuff and and that becomes a problem because it divides the community and ultimately it's God not Moses that you're upset with Moses couldn't possibly have provided food and water in the wilderness he was as hopeless and helpless in that regard as you were and and so it couldn't possibly be his fault but people would turn it into that and so it's important that we take that to God rather than murmuring about these issues so what we have today is we're continuing in Isaiah, um, in his prophecy, and today we've got the first nine verses of Psalm 61. Psalm 61, when Jesus, after his baptism and after the temptation, the first place that he goes, at least in Luke's gospel, is up to Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue there. And when he goes into the synagogue, they invite him to speak, and he goes up and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads the first few verses of this psalm, and then says, he puts it back up and says, today, this is fulfilled in your presence. That I'm the one being described here, is what he says, and that gets people a little upset. So the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So what he said is, is that, that this promise of Isaiah is fulfilled today. I am the fulfillment of that promise. You can see how that might get people a little bit upset. If somebody came into our midst today and did that in the church, we'd probably have them escorted out. But Jesus then goes on to do these things. 
and that's the the what he is saying is is that that I'm throwing down the challenge now. Keep your eyes on me. See if I do the things that are promised in this passage. And so he he's giving them hope. He's restoring hope to the people. To, he's it's more than the exiles coming back from Babylon. It's more than the exodus out of Egypt. No, this is the exodus out of the kingdom of the world and 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 the entrance into the kingdom of God. And he will give you the Holy Spirit, which leads you into that place. It gives you a foretaste of the kingdom now. And so when he makes this declaration, you can see why people would be upset about that, because he is claiming to be the Messiah. It's as clear as that, and they knew it. They knew it at that moment. Nobody was fooled about what he was saying. There's no reason for them to be upset for any other reason. But he's at home. This is the place where the people knew him. And they rejected any idea of that right off. We know this guy. How could he possibly be that? Well, something new has happened. He's now stepping into the anointing that had been on him. And so this beautiful headdress instead of ashes and uh, garment of praise, <coughs> the oil of gladness instead of mourning, what that refers to is, is anybody who is in mourning would have covered their head in ashes and um, not, not anointed their head. And so he's turning their mourning and weeping into life and dancing that they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. So it, he's bringing them back. This is the immediate context for Isaiah's prophecy, is, is that the, he, he's announcing that it's time. It's time for the exiles to come back and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. And so he's, he's, he's overturning the current situation where they're actually the ones who are tending flocks of foreigners and strangers and doing the work for other people. He says, I'm going to put you back into the land, and then you're going to be so revered among the nations that they will come to see your glory, and they will come to serve you. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. What a glorious... um, thing this is, and it's it, the truth is, is that the fulfillment of it, the ultimate fulfillment of this, awaits, right? It awaits the second coming. It awaits the new Jerusalem. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. So it's a wonderful promise to the people. And and then we're brought into that same covenant. We are part of this God's Israel. And so we are we are heirs of the same covenant and heirs of those same blessings. And so this word is not just a word for the Israelites who were exiled in Babylon, nor is it just a word for the Israelites today who are exiled all over the world, or those who are in Israel of a time that will come, we share in this as well. It's a word to us, those who are heirs of the promise through Christ. It's important for us to recognize that blessedness is promised to us. In the gospel today, it's 
there's some t- remember what had happened in yesterday's gospel was is that the rich young man had come to Jesus and Jesus had talked about how difficult it was for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God and then ultimately said that all things are possible with God with man they're not but with God they are he's able to do things outside of of our ability to do anything so now they're leaving and it says they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid they were afraid because of what he had said and what he had done. They were afraid that they might be left out of the kingdom. And so they, they needed to know more. And then he takes the 12 again to himself, and he begins to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, this is again, remember about three or four days ago, we read the same thing, and they were confused. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and he can't be any clearer and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he'll rise. Remember the last time he said that, what we were told was they were confused about it. They had no idea what it meant. And then later, when they got to the place they were going, Jesus turned on them and said, what were you talking about along the way? And what, what they'd been talking about was who was the greatest, right? So he tells them this thing truth this very straightforward unadorned truth and they don't understand and here we we know they don't either because what happens next is and it seems like a complete non sequitur it seems like there's something missing is what it feels like when you read this so jesus tells them exactly what's going to happen to him and then james and john the sons of zebedee came up to him and said to him teacher we want us to do for you to do for us whatever we ask of you if you ask me, I mean, I'm looking at you, and I'm just going to laugh at you. You're going to have to tell me what you want first. He said, what do you want me to do? And so they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. They still think he's coming into an earthly kingdom, even though he's just told them that he's getting ready to be killed and then rise again. I mean, they might have believed it, but, but even if they believed the words, they still don't get it. They still think that he'll, okay, so, okay, if, that, if that's what happens, then, okay, well, He'll still be like, he's the Messiah, so he'll be the king. And we want to be on right and left hand. It, it's, you read this and you think, really? You're doing it again? I mean, the last time he told you this, you talked about who was the greatest, and now you've come up with a plan to be the greatest in, in Jesus' kingdom. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. But, but it's so human to always seek position and power and authority. You know, we don't want to just be servants uh-uh, no, I want to sit at your right hand. And it's just, it's unbelievable. You see it, and you think, I, th- these guys had to look at each other later and think, what in the world? Hey, don't put that in the gospel, please. Please don't put that in the gospel. <laughs> Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we're able. You had no earthly idea. <laughs> he says, you know, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you'll be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those to whom it has been prepared. In other words, the Father has already decided that. I don't have the ability to grant you the promise, to promise you to give you what it is you're asking here. I don't have that kind of authority. That belongs completely to the Father. And it, it's amazing that they've asked this and that they've been bold enough to say, yep, we can drink the cup you drink and be baptized with the baptism you're baptized with. And they're certainly not ready to do that. And we know that because of what happens after the crucifixion. They're scared to death. 
they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of this thing. And Jesus is saying, yes, you're going to have to do this. You're going to go through the same things that I go through. But something happens in the interim that's really way more important, and that would be the resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit, because that's the preparation for us, because it gives us the hope and the, the certain hope. Not So it's not some fond wish dream. Nope, it's the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. And if I know that, that I'm willing to, to go through that. I may not be thrilled about it, but I'm willing, because I know that's not the end of the story. And when the others heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Well, I'm sure they were. <laughs> and John, Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who consider rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's, it's so human to want those positions. And, and you know, the, the ten were indignant because, well, they didn't think of that. <laughs> James and John got ahead of them. Jesus saw that. And that's exactly why he says what he does, but it's also why he does what he does on the night of the uh, Last Supper. Because he has to do it. He has to show that he's willing to be their servant and their slave and to do things like wash their feet that you couldn't even ask a Hebrew slave to do. He has to show them the way. And he has to do all this stuff so that they'll understand that all that he has done and all that he is doing in in submitting himself to uh, first the Jews and then the Romans and then crucifixion is because he's serving them and it's all based in love. And we need to have the same attitude. That's exactly what Paul says in Philippians, right? That we're to have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, where he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but then took on flesh and then became a slave and a servant of all. In the passage today from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, Paul's going to give us a couple of lists. He's going to give us a couple of lists about himself, and then he's going to give another list Though the first list that he's going to give is, it's he's on a rant. Let's say he said, "I understand that, but no, but understand this: that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be, and here's the list: lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good." treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I, I don't think I could have come up with a list like that, but Paul just bam, 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 rattles it straight off. He, he said, this is what it's going to look like in the end times. People, th- These things will be characteristic of the world around us. Um, he said, those are the last days. Um, <laughs> sounds like today. So he says, avoid such people. I mean, you wouldn't think you'd have to tell people to avoid such people, but you do. You, you actually do have to tell people to avoid people like that. Because some people are attracted to people like that. <laughs> For among them are those who, this is so funny, who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. In other words, he, he said, they're preying on these women. And that's the reason in various places he'll tell them it's better for you to get married than to burn with passion because it puts you in a vulnerable situation. You'll be taken advantage of. That's exactly what he's trying to say. They take advantage of these women who are desperate for attention, desperate for man, whatever. But then they get led astray. And, you know, when I was in Pauly's Island, I actually saw this kind of happen, not in a sexual way, 
But there's a guy that came in to plant at a church up in Myrtle Beach, and he and somebody brought him down to a meeting that I was in charge of. It was a prayer meeting for um, a guy named Luis Palau, who was a, an evangelist, and he was going to do um, a festival, I think is what they called it, up in Myrtle Beach. And so I was the intercessory prayer head of that thing, and so I got a group of people together and we would we prayed prior to starting the official kickoff of prayer where we would go from different church to different church and we would have invite people in Georgetown South Carolina or Pauley's Island or Myrtle Beach or Surfside or Garden City and all the areas around there Conway and everything else we would invite people to come so at one of the things that I was doing early on one of my friends who had asked to be part of this first group brought this guy and I didn't like him right from the start I felt like he was a phony and a fraud. Well, ultimately what happened was is that he started this church up in Myrtle Beach and he got a few people to come over there. And some of our people went over there. And then I heard that he was slandering, not me, but some of the other leadership at the church. And so I confronted my friends about this and said, you know better than that. You know that that doesn't describe these people. That's not who they are. And you know that. And you shouldn't be there and allow this guy to slander them that way. Well, whatever anyway a year or so maybe even less than that later one of them called me and said can we come see you there were like three or four i said, sure so they came and what was the pop the point the point was is that one night this guy showed up with a financial advisor in the church service and said i want y'all to listen to this guy he's got this great investment and i want everybody to go in on this thing and, and they did and you can guess how it turned out dude skipped town and they lost all their money, but it was all women, and and it was it was all they were typically all widows actually who loved the Lord, but they were carried astray by this guy, who captured them and, and turned them captive. One of those women later, there was a guy who came into town, and he I, I, it looked suspicious to me that he was trying to ingratiate himself with this lady, um, in an odd way, and I confronted him about it and and he left and then i found out later some things about him that made me glad that i did but but the first guy put me on notice but it's 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 true i mean i've seen this happen i I wouldn't call them weak women i would just call them vulnerable women would be the way that i would have seen said what i've seen just as jonas and john breeze opposed moses so these men also oppose the truth men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith but they won't get very far for their folly will be plain to all as well as was that of those two men and so these are the ones who decided to come up and, and challenge Moses' leadership. Well, that guy that I was telling you about, he ended up, the first guy, the pastor guy, he ended up, the FBI was after him, and so they got him. But, but ultimately, my, my mentor Chuck Murphy would say things like, ultimately everybody gets your number. And so he would, when people would come after him and come at him and challenge him um, and, and try and take his leadership spot, he would not defend himself. He said, the Lord will defend me, and, and ultimately, everybody will get your number. Well, ultimately, it, it, it tore the denomina- denomination apart, but then ultimately, some of those leaders of that renegade movement were discovered to be huh, way less than what they seemed to be. He says, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. And Peter was there. And we those are the places that, that we hear about in the book of the Acts that Luke wrote. We hear about all the sufferings and stuff that happened, the persecutions that happened in those specific cities that Paul talks about. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, which is exactly what Jesus said. And Paul's right. 
If you pull out of the worldly system, you will have persecution. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's pointing him back to the Word of God and said, if you really want to, to keep your way safe and secure, then the best way to do that is to, to stay in the Word. And, that, and that's the huge injunction and admonition that I have for you all. And that's the reason I do the podcast in so many ways is because I know that since I'm not pastoring a church right now, that, and, I, and I don't intend to again, but what I need to do more than anything else is stay in the Word. And I need to, to, to be able to, to do this podcast in order to help others because God's given me all this stuff over these years of being in ministry, and, and I've got to do something with it. And so... I stay in the Word and stay grounded in the Word by doing this podcast. And then he goes on to say something that's incredibly famous. And he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so Paul commends Scripture for all those reasons. And and when he says Scripture, he means mostly the Old Testament. Um, Some of the Gospels may have been begun to be written, at this point in time, but they probably were not in, in wide circulation within the church. And so Paul is, is pointing him back to the Word of God and saying, if you really want to, to, be, um, to understand what it means to live in the kingdom of God and to lead others in the kingdom of God, then the only place that I can point you is to the Word of God. And we can't do any better than that. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years.